We are in chapter 29, verse 31. Jacob is living with Laban for the last seven years. He is now married to Leah and Rachel. Leah the firstborn, Rachel the second. And we're now going into the next set of seven years. And this is basically the growth of his family. And basically the nature. Now remember, it's pretty clear that God wants Jacob to marry Leah. And that's seen in two very clear ways. One, that's who he gets. And God has never directly forbidden polygamy, but kind of makes it clear through all these dysfunctional marriages of polygamy that it's not exactly his ideal. And then in the garden, when he says the two shall become one flesh, that kind of makes it clear that this is to not be a polygamous relationship. So just as Joseph is going to later say in chapter 50, verse 20, that what you intended for evil, God used for good. What Laban intended for evil, God used to give Jacob Leah. And he was not seeing that because he was spiritually blind. So he plowed on through in his lust and pursued Rachel. So tonight we're going to see the second reason why God wanted him to marry Leah and not Rachel. And we're going to see that as their character is developed. Now remember, that doesn't mean Leah's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Um, but she's definitely the better character out of the two. So verse 31, when Yahweh saw that Leah was unloved, he enabled her to become pregnant while Rachel remained childless. Now this immediately starts this continuing theme of Sarai was barren and God has made her fertile. Rebecca was barren, God made her fertile. Now we're not very, notice how each time we come to that, God summarizes it even more. We're not specifically told that Leah was barren for a long period of time. We're just told that God enabled her to have kids. But Rachel is barren. And so as we go through this, what's interesting is that Leah and Rachel are going to both have something that the other wants. But, and so Leah will be able to have children, which Rachel wants, but she cannot. And Leah's going to, Rachel's going to have the love of her husband, which Leah wants, but she does not have. So they're going to both be competing, one for children and the other for the love of her husband. And so that's the contrast and the tension that whatever their relationship was like before Jacob came into the picture is definitely not going to be good because of him. And so God, Yahweh, enables them to become, Leah to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. And she names him Reuben. And Reuben carries the idea of see. Now remember, none of these names really truly mean what they're saying. They're puns. So they've picked a word that sounds like this other thing to carry this meaning. And so basically what she's saying is that Yahweh has looked upon me or seen me and found pity or compassion for me by providing me with something that I so desperately want. But notice how she goes on and says... Surely my husband will love me now. Children are where both the husband and the wife find their value in the ancient world. And so if she is now able to provide children and Rachel cannot, then perhaps Jacob will begin to love her for the fact that she can provide him with the only thing that gives either one purpose in life and that kind of a culture. And so her first kid is the hope that she'll have the love of her husband. Then she becomes pregnant again, and she names him Simeon, which means God has heard me. 
and that I was unloved. And then she says that this idea is that continuing the idea that my husband will be joined to me. And so notice that she's starting off by saying, Yahweh has seen me and Yahweh has heard me, which is exactly the words that we saw with Hagar. When God, she says, he has seen me and he has heard me. And that's what the name that she gives God and the name that God gives to Ishmael, meaning seeing and hearing. And so that theme is continuing on of these unloved people who are being seen and heard by God, which hopefully you're beginning to see this theme that these are exactly the people that God sees and hears, is the one that the world doesn't, is the one that the world doesn't. So then she became pregnant again. She had another son by the name of Levi. And with Levi, we don't know exactly what his name means, but it might carry more of the idea of join. And so she's saying with this, perhaps I will now be joined with my husband. Three is typically seen as the number of redemption in the ancient world. So perhaps this will finally redeem my relationship with husband now that I have three kids that I've provided him. And yet it doesn't. And nothing is changing. So then we come to verse 35, and it says she became pregnant again. And this says, this time I will praise Yahweh. And she stops. Now this is very interesting, because when she gets the fourth kid, notice two things are happening. One, every single time that she gives birth to a kid and names him, she calls on the name of Yahweh, the covenantal relational name that only applies to God and our God of the Bible, and that's the only person. And so she keeps calling on the name of Yahweh, which suggests that she actually has an intimate relationship with this God by the fact that she's using the relational covenant name of this God. But the other thing that's interesting is each child she desires, not only does she praise this Yahweh, but then she desires that this gift will make her more connected to her husband. But when she gets to Judah, she just simply names him, I will praise Yahweh mean that she has finally come to the point where it doesn't matter whether her husband loves her or not. And I don't, I'm not saying that literally. But what's more important is she has found her contentment in Yahweh. And not that she still doesn't desire her husband, not that she's still not hurt by that, but that she's no longer longing for that as the most important thing to her. And not that there won't be some days better than others, but that she has found contentment and say, you know what, I'm just going to praise Yahweh. And then God shuts her up, and she's no longer able to have kids. And there's a sense that she has found completion and contentment when she finally comes to this point of what Judah means. Now that's significant, because Judah means this idea of God praise, because we already talked about that this story is not just about Joseph. It's about all the brothers but other than Joseph, it's also going to be about Judah. And Judah's going to be, take a prominent role in the second half of this Jacob story. She has four kids now. So up here you can see the family chart. And you see that pretty much everybody's marrying their cousin in this family, um, in all generations. But you can see that we have 12 sons, and Dinah is also a child of Leah. And Leah's going to end up having a lot more kids than she's going to pretty much have the same amount of kids as the other three wives put together, which emphasizes even more that this is who God wanted her to marry, because this is who God is blessing more with fertility than any other of the women. And so you see that she has four with Judah, and she stops. 
Now we kind of launch into Rachel. And Jacob, notice in this chapter, is going to take back row. He's not really in this story. They are the major characters now, the two wives. And they're the focus. So in chapter 30, verse 1, it says, Rachel saw that she could not give Jacob children, and she became jealous for her sister. She said to Jacob, give her me children or I'll die. Now notice that where Leah, in the naming of her children, longs for her husband, but it never says that she's jealous of her sister. Now we're specifically told that Rachel is jealous of her sister. And then she is this idea of she's so desperate that she feels like she could just die if she doesn't have kids. Now, that's not meant to be a total criticism because I don't know what it's like to be a woman who wants children so desperately cannot. But there is this emphasis that she's putting everything into this having children. And it shows that unlike Rachel, she's never going to call on the name of Yahweh. For her, it's just Elohim, the generic term for God that could apply to anybody. And so you don't see any relationship with Elohim, and you don't see any connection with him anyway. And yes, she'll call on the name of God, but it's just this generic G-O-D concept for her that could be referring to any God. And later we're going to see when she brings the idols into the family, we know what God she's actually been talking about. And so she's just mixing this all up together. So she goes to Jacob and says, give me children. And Jacob actually rebukes her. And says, look, this isn't me. This is God. Like, when have humans ever been able to just be like, bing, children? This is a problem with God. Which is interesting because he even sees that this is your problem with God. This is not your problem with me. Now, one could interpret that as insensitivity on his part. But at the same time, there's a sense that she's not going to the right place. She's demanding it from the wrong place. So she decides to do the Sarah thing and give her maidservant, Bilhah, to Jacob to sleep with. And she had not listened or paid attention to the lesson and the dysfunctionality that Hagar had brought into the relationship when Sarah did that. And so she's repeating the same sins all over again. So through Bilhah, she has two sons. So Bilhah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and Rachel, God, named him Dan, which means judge, meaning that God has vindicated me. But notice it's vindicated me like against my sister. This, so Rachel's introducing this competition that necessarily should not be there, nor was there to begin with. So Bill has another son, and his name is Naphtali. And so she names him like fighting, that I have fought with my sister. Which is interesting because once again, notice that Rachel was all focusing on God. God has blessed me, maybe now I'll be connected to my husband. Where with Rachel, it's always like against my sister, against my sister. So where Leah, she's desiring to be connected to somebody, Rachel is seeing herself in opposition to somebody. And so there's a completely different perspective as they're having kids here. Now, unfortunately, this is where Leah is godly, but not perfect. Leah gets caught up in the competition now. And it's easy to judge her, but who knows what we would do if we were constantly being pitted against that. We all have our weaknesses and we all fall. And so Leah saw that now her sister is gloating this over her and she can't have children anymore. And maybe there's a fear that if her sister starts catching up, then she'll lose the love of her husband. And if she can stay at least a few sons ahead of her sister, she might still have her husband's love. 
So she does the same thing by offering up her maidservant, Zilpah. Now, this basically means now that Jacob is married to four women, which is more than anybody before him so far in this family. And so he's going deeper and deeper into these I-didn't-pay-attention Sunday school class than any of his ancestors ever did. And so she has a son by the name of Gad. And notice, once again, even though she's getting caught up in this competition and she's doing something that she should not be doing with this fourth wife, it still says, I am fortunate. Where Rachel's against my sister, I am a struggle, I am judged. But Leah is still naming her kids, I am blessed, I am fortunate. And so she's definitely seeing the more positive side here. And then she has another kid by the name of Asher, who basically is named Happy. And so you, what you're seeing here is that not only is God showing how he's blessing this family tremendously, this is more kids than any of the parents before them have ever had. So God is honoring his promise of making them a fruitful nation. And so we're seeing God's faithfulness to that as he fulfills the covenant promises. But it's also developing the character of Leah and Rachel. And it keeps just with every single kid, it keeps reemphasizing the fact of who Jacob should truly have been connected to all along. And yet he can't see that. And so the third thing that it shows us here is that Jacob is blind to the things of God. God keeps showing He's using these children as a blessing to Jacob. He's using these children as revealing the character of these women. And yet Jacob is completely ignoring the character and still pursuing the most attractive one because of his lust. And so we see, just like Isaac kept ignoring the things of God for the sake of his lust of his appetite, now we're seeing Jacob ignoring the things of God for the lust of images and beauty, and body. And so this character is developed. So at this point with Asher, she stops. So now we're at eight kids so far in the family, and then Dinah comes along. Now we don't know exactly how many, um, well not yet, sorry. So at this time of the wheat harvest, Reuben went out, verse 14, and found some mandrake plants in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. And Rachel said to Leah, give me some of your son's mandrakes. But Leah replied, was it enough that you've taken away my husband? Now you want to take away my son's food? So there is definitely a jealousy there. Like I said, Rachel's not perfect. She's just godly. So there is a jealousy that like you keep trying, you're, you're in this competition for the, my husband's love. And there might be a little bit of resentment of, I was married to him first. yes. This was through mostly the deception of my father, our father, but I was married to him first. And now you're taking him away from me, but now you want to take my son's food. Now, mandrakes. Mandrakes are interesting. They are a root in the ground that kind of looks like a human body. And depending on what root you pull out, it, can, it kind of looks like it has a head with four limbs coming out of it. And sometimes they just kind of look like four things coming out of a thing. And sometimes they look very human. Or the indentation in the head actually looks like eyes and mouth. And you might have seen this in some movies like, I don't know what you watch, but Harry Potter or um, it's in Sherlock Holmes movies with Robert Downey Jr. And some maybe other movies where they actually would use them as voodoo dolls. 
And so the root has a human quality to it, and it grows these fruits that are the size of a plum, and they're yellowish in color. And so you can eat the root, and you can eat the fruit. Now, the root was considered magical, and it still is even to this day. This is why you see it in magical movies and magical incantations with witchcraft and Wicca and all this kind of stuff. But they would do certain things like you can take the mandrake root and do spells and rituals over it and turn it into a voodoo doll. You can use it as to bless people. You can grind up the root and drink it, and they believe that it would make you fertile and give you kids. And so there's a sense that why is Rachel coming to her when she has mandrakes and not any other food? And so what you see is Rachel is pursuing Leah for this root that is difficult to find and difficult to dig up. So there is a sense that I don't want to put the work into it, and you have more sons than I do. But she's of all the foods, she's pursuing her for the mandrakes. And so basically, what once again, we see Rachel who's pursuing not God for her fertility, but superstitious magic for her fertility. And this is where God kind of comes in and gives his commentary on it. Not directly, but indirectly. Most of the time, God gives his commentary indirectly. And so he says, but Leah replied, so basically, Rachel's so desperate, she's like, it's my turn to be with Jacob tonight. I'll give him up for a night, and you can sleep with him tonight, which means she is so confident that she gives up a couple of nights with Jacob that these mandrakes will make her fertile. It doesn't matter if she misses a couple of nights. The next night, she's going to get pregnant. That's how much faith she's putting in these mandrakes, that she's willing to give up. I mean, if you're desperate to have kids yourself, and it's been a couple of years, more than that, because we're definitely at um, six years here by now, then you're probably not going to want to give up any night when it's your turn. And yet she's that confident in the mandrake that she's willing to give it up. And that shows you where her confidence truly is. And so Leah agrees But what's interesting now is that Jacob is now being turned into, he's the one who was originally working to buy his wives. Now he's becoming the product they want to buy. And so this relationship is now about the highest bidder and not really about love here. And so everything's just kind of degrading in this dysfunctional relationship. Now, as we keep getting deeper and we start seeing their relationship with each other, and then we start seeing the sons. This is when I always tell my students, if you ever feel bad about your family and think you're dysfunctional, just read Jacob, and you'll realize that your family could be worse. So this is an incredibly dysfunctional relationship. All right, Rachel said, he may sleep with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. Verse 16, when Jacob came in from the fields that evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must sleep with me because I have paid for your services my son's mandrakes. So he had marital relations with her that night, and God paid attention to Leah, and she became pregnant and gave Jacob a son for the fifth time. Then Leah said, God has granted me a reward because I gave my servant to my husband as a wife. So she named him Issachar. You're like, wait a minute. She's doing this out of like, I paid for your services, and God rewards her with a kid. And you're like, okay, why would God do that? I mean, she kind of paid for this, and that's not exactly what a husband and wife situation is going to be like. But notice, once again, she names her kid as in God has rewarded me. 
But notice what comes on next. Leah became pregnant again and gave Jacob a son for the sixth time. And then Leah said, God has given me a good gift. Once again, God is the focus here. God's gift. God has made me, I'm happy, I'm blessed. God's gift, reward, all coming from God, where Rachel was all about competition. So she named him Zebulon. And after that, she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dinah. Now, we don't know if there are other daughters in the picture, but Dinah specifically mentioned here because of what's going to happen later in chapter 34, which becomes very crucial to understanding the family and what happens later. Notice that Rachel doesn't have any kids. I mean, in this entire time, we have Issachar, Zebulon, and Dinah. That's at least three years. And Rachel doesn't have any kids. And most commentators say that perhaps the reason that even though Leah has bought her husband for the night, which is not the greatest motives, God still opens up her womb just to teach Rachel the lesson that God is the one who makes for people fertile and not mandrakes. And because Rachel is definitely not looking to God, and Rachel's going to superstitious magic, which God is going to later harshly condemn in the book of Deuteronomy, God closes up her womb intentionally just to teach her that this will fail you and opens up Leah to show that Leah gave up the mandrakes Therefore, she became fertile. Rachel pursued the mandrakes. Therefore, she remained infertile. And so he's using this as a lesson that will later be given a command in Deuteronomy. You are not allowed to pursue these means. And so he's showing the ineptness of all this.